Hey there. Good Wednesday afternoon to all of you. My name is Tracy Fuller, and this is the Arts Report for Wednesday, November 26th, 2008. I've got a number of very different things on the agenda today, so I am going to get right to them. But first, I absolutely must congratulate everyone here at CITR for surpassing this year's fund driving goal of $15,000. We are currently sitting pretty at $16,235.18 in donations. But the drive isn't over yet. We're still asking for donations, which will help us buy new equipment, will help us repair our old equipment, help pay our wonderful staff members, and support all of the amazing DJs and programmers that help make us the best station in the Lower Mainland and make CITR sound so different and so great. So from the bottom of our hearts, and from my heart particularly, Thank you so much to everyone out there who has called in to donate. And if you haven't donated yet and you're just waiting to get that chance, call us now. There are operators standing by waiting for your call. The number is 604-822-8648. Call now. Call again. Call often. 604-822-8648. All right. But now getting to it, um, so the big news in Vancouver's art scene yesterday was the announcement that Ballet BC, Ballet BC was laying off its entire company. That's all 18 dancers, the artistic director and choreographer John Allen, and about 20 other staff members, all of them. Their contracts were terminated, and uh, apparently due to the drastic drop in ticket sales, the whole company was going to go under. But at the last minute, Vancouver City Council did step in and they voted yesterday afternoon to donate $85,000 to ensure that this holiday's production of the Nutcracker Ballet, which is not even going to be performed by Ballet BC itself, but by the Moscow City Ballet, will go ahead. And so this, this Christmas season, over the holidays, there will be the Nutcracker as per usual. But beyond that, the future of one of Canada's most prestigious dance companies is completely unknown. So hearing the news yesterday, I immediately thought of Leon Faisal-Gas, the ballet BC dancer who I interviewed earlier this fall when John Allen's The Fairy Queen took to the stage at the Queenie. So earlier today, I called up Leon to find out what happened and what the future holds for him and for the entire ballet BC company. So uh, I recorded our conversation and uh, here it is to share with you now. How did you first hear the news that the entire Ballet BC company was going to be laid off? Yeah, that was a that was a little bit of a shocker. I actually, because um, we found out on Monday, mm-hmm. this past Monday, and I actually wasn't uh, physically in in the studio when it happened. I had actually called in sick that day, um, but I got a call from from my girlfriend who also works in the company um, pretty much right after it had happened. Um, and so, you know, it was regular day as usual. Um, as far as I've been told, uh, you know, everybody was, was, you know, in rehearsal in the studios and then everybody was just sort of pulled into a uh, studio together. And that's when, um, our, uh, chairman of the board made or our board of, uh, the director of the board made the announcement to everybody. And what and was the, everybody found out. And what was the reaction? What did people say? What did people do? Um, I mean, you know, I think, I think, uh, I mean, even I was in shock when, when my girlfriend phoned me. Um, I think, yeah, everybody was just stunned, um, really, um, really saddened, I think. 
Um, yeah, but just mainly, I mean, we're still, some of us are still really, you know, is this sort of really happening kind of thing and, you know, sort of pinching ourselves and is this a dream that we're going to wake out of? But um, no, we're still pretty all in shock. Did anything sort of forewarn you that this might happen? Was was there any idea before Monday that um, that things were going downhill? Not as far as the dancers were aware. Um, honestly, uh, uh, just as I think, it, I think it's widely known that um, dance companies, arts organizations, are always sort of on the brink sometimes um, are well exactly you know are 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 not um do work with deficits and if you i think if you look at uh, balance sheets across arts organizations across canada that you'll find you'll find the same thing so i mean that's why it was such a shock to us we just there was no lead up to it and it was just like bam there you go so yesterday, the, the Vancouver City Council voted to help the company out by giving it $85,000 to yeah. help get the Moscow City Ballet's December production of the Nutcracker afloat. Mm-hmm. But So what has to happen at this point for the rest of the season to go forward? Well, it, really, uh, it, it will really depend on the community and how much the community values its arts organizations um, because it's going to boil down to uh, to people coming out and supporting the ballet and buying tickets and wanting to to come and see um, the shows you know so do you pretty much need to sell out the whole production or what has um, to happen I you know I, I can't say specifically uh, um, I don't really have any exact numbers or figures but uh, you know I mean and we're always wanting to sell out every show that we do but based on news articles that have been printed and stories that have already been put forward, I, there does need to be a, a specific number of ticket sales in order for the company to keep rolling for the rest of the season. So at this point, what is your plan? I know that some news reports have said that certain principal dancers have already started looking abroad and looking, and perhaps visas will be taken away from some of the dancers. And there are only 18 dancers in the company. So, yeah. so what what is your next step personally if um, are you preparing for the worst or are you hoping for the best or well for me you know and it's like and and i think it's going to be up to every dancer to make this choice for themselves but we are really trying to to stick together as a group and really support each other you know there are a few dancers that are um, from other countries and so their their situation is is very specific is very particular and you know we're just trying to really keep a sense of ourselves as a group together to support each other, you know, because those from other countries are going to have to deal with visas and work visas and what they're going to do in the meantime, sort of immediate financial uh, circumstances. I I feel like uh, it's pretty safe to say that as a group, our hearts and our souls are in Valley BC. We're invested in this company because it is something very special to us. And, uh, you know, we're not willing to let that go without a fight. So I think a lot of our energy is being directed towards what we can do to help. You know, everything that we do at this point on is being done on a voluntary basis. So, you know, we're just going to do what it takes. And, and that's that's where we want to focus our energy. Right. If you were to send a message out to, to the fans of Ballet BC and the people who want to support the arts in Vancouver and to keep wonderful institutions like Ballet BC afloat, what would you personally like to ask them or tell them? You know, I, I, I mean, to everyone who is who has supported Ballet BC, I, I would I would just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. 
for all of the support up up to this point and uh, don't let up, you know, whether it's in the purchasing of tickets for shows or spreading the word or advocating for more funding. I mean, you know, we we deeply, all of the dancers, all of the um, um, employees of Ballet BC are extremely appreciative and, and we owe a lot to our current audience and we would encourage them and hope that they would continue to support us. I mean, especially... Especially in times like these, I think it's really important for for Canadians as a society to support each other, and 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 this is a perfect opportunity, an example of just coming together as a society, um, and really, really, you know, sort of pinpointing, okay, well, what what are our values? What do we value as Canadians? Absolutely, you know? I agree with you. Well, yeah. Leon, thank you so much for talking to me today. No, my pleasure, anytime. anytime. And. And um, I will keep my fingers crossed. I will keep publicizing Ballet BC. And, uh, and I really do hope that everyone gets out to the Nutcracker and that we do, I do get a chance to talk to you again in the spring when the spring season is going forward. I will hope for that as well. All Thank right. you so much. No, no problem, as I was about to say. Um, Leon Faisal-Gas is one of Ballet BC's 18 dancers. And as I mentioned before, the chairman of the Ballet BC's Ballet BC Company's board of directors, Graham Barrett, said that if the company is able to sell out this Christmas's Nutcracker performances, then Ballet BC will be able to complete their 2008-2009 season. Otherwise, as of January 1st, 2009, there may not be a Ballet BC Company in Vancouver anymore. So for those of you who are fans or are just in general in support of of the wonderful arts that go on in Vancouver, in BC, and in this country, please get out there and buy some tickets to the Nutcracker this season or donate funds online. You can get more information on ways to help out Ballet BC by visiting their website at www.balletbc.com. So, that shocking news yesterday. Quite a, a blow, I think, and unfortunate news in in, let's say, the uh, beginning stages of what is supposed to be the big recession of 2009. So let's hope this isn't a catching epidemic of folding arts companies. But now for something completely different, um, but not necessarily on a lighter note. Um, last Thursday, Vancouver's Green Thumb Theatre Company launched their new production of The December Man, which is a Governor General Award-winning play by Colleen Murphy. The play looks at the Montreal Massacre of 1989, where Mark Lapine opened fire on an entire classroom full of women at L'Ecole Polytechnique at, in Montreal. Sorry. Well, I sent my theatre critic, Paul Riviere, out to the show to review it for us, and this is the report he brought back. Occasionally, I ask myself, why do I go to the theatre? I find it's a good question to ask as it reminds me to focus on the impact of what I'm seeing. Why am I here? Why am I sitting in a dark seat watching a play come to life in an attempt to connect with me and my emotions in some meaningful way? When experiencing a play like The December Man by Colin Murphy, I find all those questions being answered in the best possible way. The December Man is a taunt, forceful drama that is presently unfolding at performance works until December 7th. In the 80 minutes or so that it took me to watch this play, I was reminded of why live theatre has remained a powerful and vibrant force in our lives. The play is molded around the events that took place at the Ecole Polytechnic in Montreal on December 6, 1989. But the playwright shifts the play's focus away from a direct commentary on the killings of the 14 women at the school 
and instead turns the play into an examination of how their deaths may have influenced the life of another student, and to a larger extent, the lives of the community. The play takes place in the living room of a family home. The irony of this setting quickly becomes apparent in the first scene as the audience slowly realizes that the living room has become a dying room, a place where this once, once happy family has begun to die, becoming unexpected targets of a violence that once believed they believed had no direct effect on their lives. The link between the parents and the tragedy at the Polytechnic is their fragile son, Jean. He was one of the lucky ones to escape the killer's wrath, but his guilt at being alive and of not being a hero, of not being strong or courageous or daring enough to stop the killings, prevents him from continuing a happy life and ultimately drives him to suicide. With such a tragic theme, the play works hard to find humor in unlikely moments. Actually, much of the humor and the tragedy of the play is revealed through the strained love relationship between Benoit and Kathleen, Jean's parents. It is through the steady deterioration of their life that we were able to realize the larger impact violence has on a community. Although occasionally their performances risk becoming melodramatic in the more emotional moments, Charlie Gallant as Jean, Jean Lee as Benoit, and Brigitte O'Sullivan as Kathleen all deliver outstanding performances. To feel how a strong, dramatic production can add insight and relevance to the events that shape our life, go see The December Man. The play doesn't give any answers or resolve the reasons for spontaneous and destructive violence, but it does present a canvas that reflects the impact that the death of violence has impacts our own struggle to survive. For The Arts Report, this is Paul Revere. And thanks to Paul for that report. And also this past weekend, the Vancouver Opera Company opened their 2008-2009 season with Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin. That was at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre, and my opera critic, Judith Walter, was there for the opening, and she brought back this report. I hope you like it. Just imagine you fall in love with somebody for the first time in your life. But then you get rejected. Even worse, your beloved flirts with your sister to make his friend jealous. Then, a few years later, he appears again, finally confessing his love. But you are already married. What would you do? This is exactly the story of Tatiana in Tchaikovsky's opera Eugene Onegin, which is also the name of Tatiana's first love. Onegin is a Russian aristocrat who is cynical and bored by his life. When Onegin finally realizes his mistakes, it is too late. Tatiana is already married and now it is she who rejects him. Although the story is set in 19th century Russia, it is about everyday life, true emotions and the mistakes we regret for our whole lives. The music by Tchaikovsky is as dramatic as the plot. The opera includes powerful sounds, underlined sometimes by a strong dance performance on stage. Listen now to Tchaikovsky's Waltz, part of the third opera act.
Besides the powerful sounds, you also find many gentle parts that put you in a state of reverie and make you dream away. Here is a small example. only did the music captivate the audience. The scenery on stage was also gorgeous. Every act the stage transforms into another beautiful setting. First we see a beautiful garden in the countryside, but later on a magnificent palace and also a deserted snowy landscape. You'll also see some dancing action on the stage. It reaches from rustic country dances to a classic waltz, also including ballet elements. All this needs great actors doing a compelling job on stage. An audience member made this comment. Probably one of my favorite things about this show is the passion that comes out of the dynamic between the two characters of Onegin and Tatiana. I thought they really showed where opera is headed, which is a much more acting focus and performance focus rather than only beautiful singing. There was beautiful singing, but there was also true dramatic passion. Soprano Ruslan Jones, who sings Tatiana's role, studied for six years at UBC before she finally made it on stage. The opening night took place last Saturday at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre and was a great success. The audience was charmed by the performances and by the impressive music. The opera was very good. It was beautiful, the costumes, the singing, and I liked the way it built up towards the end. I thought that was very, very good. Oh, it was very well done. Yeah, very well performed. The chorus sounded fantastic. The soloists were great. Lovelinsky. Really nice start to the season, I think. It was great. It was really, really beautiful and really romantic, and I really liked it. I love it. It's one of my favorite pieces. They brought in an amazing cast, and it's really great that somebody local was doing the lead. I thought it was a great show. If you want to form your own opinion about the opera, you should hurry up. There are only two more shows this Thursday, November 27th, and next Saturday, November 29th. Have fun. Enjoy the evening. This was CITR Arts reporter Judith Walter. Thanks so much to Judith. That was her first report here for the Arts Report, and uh, I don't know about you, but I thought it sounded fantastic. So thank you so much, Judith. Um, just a quick note, uh, big thanks to go out to my dad, Roger Fuller, for uh, calling into CITR and uh, pledging. This means that I get the t-shirt that I oh so very much wanted. So uh, thanks, Dad, and uh, thanks to everyone else who also called in during the show to uh, donate to the funding drive. But yeah, so our total is going up. Woohoo! Uh, way to go, CITR. Okay, and um, the show is definitely not over yet. Um, Next up, uh, where is that? Oh, ah, here we are. Sorry about that. Just completely distracted by the fact that I get a CITR t-shirt. I mean, it would distract anyone in a good mood. All right. So Charlotte Hewson is a Vancouver-based textile artist who has organized a craft bazaar for the last three years, three times each year. Um, so that's since 2005. And it's called the I Heart Crafts 
bizarre. And I got in touch with Charlotte earlier today because I wasn't exactly sure what a textile artist does or what the iHeartcrafts Bazaar was all about. But I, her website looked intriguing enough for me to give her a call. And here's our, the conversation we had earlier today. Can you describe for our listeners who may not be familiar with a textile artist, what exactly do you do? Well, um, I, I make a wide range of things. Um, I'll, um, being a textile artist just means I love to make things from fabric. So um, I do a lot of sewing, hand sewing and machine sewing. I make dolls and quilts and textile sculptures. Right. And so how did you get interested in working with this medium rather than, say, clay or paint or perhaps other more common mediums? Um, it's really, I've really been drawn to working with fabric my whole life. Um, both my mother... My mom and my grandma were both seamstresses, and um, and so that's what was around when I was a child. I think that's probably the main reason is it's what I had lots of access to, and um, and I just really love I don't know I, I love making things out of fabric. It's, it's just what I do. But you were telling me about the fascinating um, projects that you've been making recently that are that sort of mimic the the fragile ceramic arts that that people collect all the time, but you do it in a particular way that's perfect for you. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, yeah, recently I've been making a collection of felt teacups, um, which I am sort of baffle myself exactly why I'm doing that, but um, it's, uh, I just really love teacups and, and started making teacup sculptures using um, thin, off-white, sort of ceramic-colored felt, and um, and they're kind of lovely because they they mimic ceramics in that they're delicate and translucent, and yeah, just working on. I was looking at your uh, website last night, and there are photos posted on the web. If you look up Charlotte Houston on the on Google, you'll come across her website, and. Um, and they really look like actual teacups, but it's all made out of fabric, and they, they are 3D, and it looks like you can actually pick them up. Can Have you tried spraying the inside of any of them to see whether they'll actually hold liquid? Um, no, I haven't. I, I haven't actually thought of... I mean, lots of people have sort of joked with me about, you know, do they hold liquid, and obviously they don't, but um, I wonder if you could spray the inside, if you could get enough of a... I don't know. I, no, I haven't. I'll have to experiment with that. <laughs> Some sort of waterproof liner. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're absolutely beautiful. And um, we were discussing that right now we've got this funding drive on at, at CITR and we made a quilt. And it was my first quilt, but you mentioned that you often make quilts. And it's just an amazing process of putting this large thing together out of just a miscellaneous amount of random scraps. Yeah. Yeah. When we spoke before, you were talking a little bit about how quilts have been around forever. And why do you think we like quilts, or why do people continue to make quilts in this day and age when you can make a blanket or make anything in two yeah. seconds with a machine? Or buy a blanket. Right. <laughs> well, I, it's when you were just describing the process there, it made me think of how, how quilts are wonderful in that you really can make something out of nothing, basically, mm. right? You can... Um, you make them out of all the bits and scraps, and 
that are left over from other projects. And, and I think that's, I mean, that's one reason they're appealing to any textile artist, because we always have a endless amount of scraps hanging around. Right. Um, but yeah, and then they're also, I just love that quilts tell stories, mm-hmm. because they are made out of all those pieces of other projects, and from old clothes that are worn out because you love them, or, you know, all those you know, all those different pieces of things and people. Yeah, I was mentioning to um, to a friend of mine last night that I would be speaking to you, and um, she remembers the first quilt she ever got from her grandmother was actually a collection of all the baby clothes she had grown out of. Yeah. And her grandmother had taken all the ones that sort of had lingered around the house or mm-hmm. had just sort of fallen into her care, and she put them together into a quilt. And this is years after. She was about 18 or 19 when she got this quilt. And it just meant so much to her because these are pieces of clothing that she doesn't even remember wearing, but she's seen in photos and that remind her of, of a different time and a different point in her family's life and in her grandmother's life and in her own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really lovely project. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, another reason why I'm talking to you today is because you uh, have organized the I Heart Crafts uh, fair, which is going on this weekend at the Ukrainian Art Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about how the iHeart, this is not the first iHeart Crafts Fair, can you talk about the, a little bit about the history of how this, how you started this event and uh, what's going to be going on this weekend? Sure. Um, I've, been, I've been organizing this fair for about three years and um, I do one every spring, fall, and winter. Um, and um, it all I started out um, organizing craft fairs with the Steam Rippers Craft Collective. It's an artist group, and we had a, a space downtown Vancouver for a couple years. Mm-hmm. And so we would have lots of events there. We had workshops and art shows, and then around Christmas time we would have we'd have craft fairs. Right. And um, yeah, and I just I built up a, a real sort of network of of crafters in Vancouver during that time, and so I thought I would, with the group is now disbanded, but um, I wanted to keep that sort of uh, craft community alive and active, and, and uh, yeah, so I have these regular fairs. And how many artists come out and present their works, and what kind of things do we find at the, or would people find at the iHeart Crafts Fair? Um, this, this craft fair is going to have 24 vendors, and um, it's a real wide range of, of stuff. Um, everything from handmade books, clothing, pottery, um, jewelry. Um, there, there's printmakers and weavers and screen printers. And textile <laughs> artists. And textile artists, yeah. <laughs> lots of, yeah, a wide range. Um, I really... Um, I, I, I hand-select the people that are in the craft fair. There's a jury process, and, and so I'm really looking for people who have something different, you know, and, I mean, in how, whatever way they fall into that category. And hmm. So what would... Unusual thing. What do you think is going to be the most, uh, the most unusual thing or, that people might find at this, this weekend's iHeart Crafts Fair? Hmm. Well, let's see. Um... There is there's a woman who's coming who makes inlaid wood belt buckles, which are really beautiful. Cool. Um, there's someone else 
who um, who makes who is a, a ceramic artist, and she has made mason jars cast in in uh, fine white porcelain. Oh wow! Those are pretty neat. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I guess there's a. Are most of the artists from the Lower Mainland area? They are. Yeah. In fact, most of the artists are East Van locals. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. Well, um, Charlotte, how can people find out more about the iHeart Crafts Fair if they want to drop by this weekend? Sure. Um, there's, we've got a blog that has all the information, and that's iHeartCraftsBazaar at blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> that's iHeartCraftsBazaar at blogspot.com. That's right, yeah. And, um, yeah, otherwise it's... Uh, it's this Sunday from 6 to 11 p.m. at um, the Ukrainian Cultural Center. And it's $2 at the door. It's $2 at the door. Great. So just come by. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I'm sure lots of people will head on down there. Everyone's starting to get their uh, Christmas presents lined up and holiday gifts, etc. So uh, best of luck this weekend, and thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you. The iHeart Crafts Bazaar is this Sunday at the Ukrainian Hall. And you can check out Charlotte and all the other 24 artists from noon until 6, so head on down. But on the crafty note, and to end my show a little late today, um, I've asked our station manager, Brenda, to join me here in the CITR studio. Because, well, like Charlotte, um, Brenda and I have been working on a craft for the last couple of weeks. Yes, indeed. And um, it's, uh, it's finally finished. As of, I think it was, what, 11 o'clock on Sunday night, we put the final stitches in? We did, and that was after eight hours quilting on Saturday. That's right. It, it's been a quilterific weekend and a quilterific fun drive. Uh, for those of you out there who are online right now, if you go to the CITR webpage at www.citr.ca, our quilt, the fabulous one-of-a-kind, one-and-only CITR quilt is featured prominently on our front page. And uh, Brenda, you were the one who came up with this quilt idea, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. It was a combo of me, myself, and Becky Sandler, I believe, in uh, discussions on what to do with the, um, the many uh, double-extra-large sweatshirts cluttering up my office. Mm. It, well, yes, because um, we didn't actually end up buying a lot of material to make this quilt. It's made completely, practically completely, out of CITR wear. It's true. And um, Brenda, you were there at the, um, the designing stage. What was your vision when you started out with the, the CITR quilt? What, what did you expect or what did you want? Well, it, it was a complete surprise uh, how it turned out. We had no idea what we, it was going to look like and it just sort of happened organically. And uh, the, the upshot is we had no vision <laughs> and... Uh, it turned out amazing. Yeah. You don't have any quilting experience? No, none. None at all. What well, about you, Tracy? No, God. Jeez, no. <laughs> I can't even cook, let alone quilt. Um, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. But, um, but thanks to the wonderful help of... Um, Wendy Cutler. Wendy Cutler, who, was, who is a quilt master extraordinaire. Um, everything came together. It we was... could not have done it without her. Thank you, Wendy. Yes. Wendy, you are forever in our hearts because honestly this thing would not have come together so to speak without her um but yeah but along with the uh the quilt the, we are going to be raffling off the quilt this 
Saturday at our big CITR wrap-up party for the funding drive. And Brenda, can you tell us what what can what is in store at the Biltmore this Saturday? Well, Tracy, it's going to be a fantastic night. So much entertainment that you will leave exploding with overstimulation. Uh, we have some burlesque dancers and a stand-up comic, Graham Clark, as well as four musical acts, Jeff Burner, National Shield, the Butless Chaps we just added, and this great band called Roll Monk. So very stoked about the party. I think it's going to be great fun. And we will be raffling off the quilt at the Biltmore. So you can go and get um, an arm worth of tickets for $10 and a body's worth of tickets for $30 and enter our draw for the CITR quilt. Absolutely. And quilts, if you look on the quilting market, quilts go for hundreds of dollars. Thousands usually. of Thousands, dollars. Yeah. No, seriously. And, if, and once you check out our quilt, you'll know that it's worth at least a body, if not five, I would say. Five bodies. Five bodies worth. Uh, I mean, we all got under the quilt before, when it was finished. Uh, there four were people. Four fit. of us, and, and there was quilt to spare. So five bodies at least. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, I just want to, one more thing about our lineup at the Biltmore before I sign off here is that um, the Butless Chaps are currently on the R330's top 30 countdown in Canada as one of the top acts their their new cd is fan freaking tastic they they uh, debuted it or they did their launching party with mint records and citr a month ago mm-hmm. and um and yeah i think everyone should head out i'll be there you'll be there jordy will you be there i will be there jordy the editor of the discorder will also be at the biltmore it is going to be the party to end all parties yes so join us there thank you brenda for joining me and good luck brenda is about to be a radio host for her first time ever. It's true. Yes, if you stay tuned to CITR, Jordy and Brenda are going to take over the airwaves. They're going to uh, put hijack on... Hijack it. Hijack the airwaves and uh, like, pepper like it with... Pump up the volume. Like, like, oh, memories of Christian Slater are dancing through my head. Right now. Right now, people. But um, before we get to that, I'm just going to let everyone know that uh, this has been another edition of The Arts Report. Thank you so much for joining me. Anytime, Tracy. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you, Jordy. Good luck with your show, which is about to go on the air. And for those of you out there, uh, if you want to get in touch with me, arts at citr.ca. This is Tracy Fuller. This has been another edition of the Arts Report. And thank you so much again for joining me. Tune in on Friday for the Weekend Arts Update update, and next week on Wednesday at 5 for another edition of the Arts Report. Cheers.
And as the Arts Report music trails away, be prepared over the next 50 minutes for to hear the inner workings of the minds of CITR's highest executive order. Brenda Gruno, our station manager, and I, Jordi Yao, uh, the editor of Discorder Magazine, which is really just a middle management position, but Brenda's pretty up there. She, she, she goes to the board meetings. Brenda. Come on, Jordi. <laughs> I know how much you have to deal with. <laughs> but yes, we will be telling you why we love CITR and why you should continue to donate on the fund drive. Although you guys have been doing great. According to the, the board that I'm sure is wrong, we have raised $163,518. Let me just help you out here. It's actually about $16,300, roughly. And uh, we have exceeded our goal, and we will... What is with that number? Uh, there's a digit missing. Oh, okay. That's That would explain the problem. I think it's a three, actually. Yes. Okay. $16,335.18. Thanks so, to you. Thanks to you. You have superseded our expectations, and I have never been happier. And uh, just encourage you to continue to pledge your support, because we could use all the money we can get to improve the station and subsidize operations. So just in case someone's forgotten, where would they call if they were going to pledge their support? Well, you should call 604-822-8648. That is right. And if they wanted to go on the website? www.citr.ca. And there are all sorts of credit cards that are taken. We take Visa. We take MasterCard. We take Diners Club. We do. We do. Well, uh, probably not actually. <laughs> and um, if you'd have donated, or or if you're just some sort of programmer tuning in, or whatever, then uh, you should come to our fun our fun drive party. And uh, we've got a song queued up from from one of the bands that's going to be playing at the fun drive. This is. This is Whiskey Rabbi by Jeff Berner, who will be playing at our Fun Drive finale on what day? On Saturday, November 29th. That's in, what, three days? Three days. Uh, Pretty soon. Pretty soon. Pretty exciting. Shopping a false messiah. I pray to God that I got here in time to guide you. I came to bring you hope, I came to bring you joy. So I've got to stay alive and drunk and unemployed. I've got to stay alive and drunk and unemployed.
smug sobriety Like a rash, I'm spreading my wisdom. Around.